Before we begin today's episode, I'd like to ask you a question. Do you know what moonstruck means? That's what I thought. Happy Valentine's Day. It's that special time of year to spend with that special someone. You know who I'm talking about. This is TV West Saves the World, Season 2, Episode 6. Let's get right into it. This Valentine's Day, we have a very special word of the day for you. The word is moonstruck. This word of the day comes to us from Oxford languages, so thumbs up for them. Definition of moonstruck, M-O-O-N-S-T-R-U-C-K. One word. It's an adjective that means unable to think or act normally, especially because of being in love. One example is, I quote, a moonstruck but musically unaccomplished lover, end quote. This word seems to fit the tone of this holiday, as does overpriced greeting cards. However, Moonstruck is not the reason you are here, I imagine, so there is more to this episode. Coming up next, we have an update on the in-school learning plan. have a message that you'd like to share on TV West Saves the World? Send us a voice message at anchor.fm slash TV West. In-person learning resumed this past week at West High School on February 8th, 2021. For many, this was merely a formality. Their teachers started showing up with masks on in their classrooms, but there were also students in the room with those teachers. In order to be one of those students resuming in-person learning, you had to complete the Test to Start program. This was fairly straightforward. You sign up with the Utah Department of Health, you sign up for an appointment to get tested, then you show up for your appointment and you get a saliva test. For those of you who are worried about what this test is, don't be. All you do is you spit in a cup, and in a few days, the information that you signed up with with the Department of Health is used to contact you and you will receive your test results. You must show the proof of this negative test result to school administration, and then you'll receive a wristband which essentially says, I'm allowed to return to school. Even after completing this process, you aren't ready to resume in person yet. First, you need to take a look at your birth certificate. All right, that wasn't entirely true, but you do need to know your full legal last name, or at least the first letter of it. If it starts with the letters of the alphabet, A through L, the two days you will go to school will be Monday and Thursday. This is a theoretical maximum in order to keep people safe. For those who start with M through Z, you will start school on Tuesdays and have your second day on Fridays. This is to ensure that no large amount of students are inside West at any given time. As you might be able to tell, this will also help to facilitate social distancing within the building because... If you've ever been there, you will know how notoriously cramped everything is. Speaking of social distancing, masks must be worn at all times within the school building and on school campus grounds. This includes the tennis courts, the track, 
the field house, the seminary, the school building, the football field, the south lawn, the driver's ed lot, and anywhere else that is owned by the district. The only exception to this is actively eating. However, you may no longer eat in the hallways or in a classroom. The only places that you may eat are the commons, the downstairs cafeteria, or the tech wing gym. The south lawn is the fourth option, but you can only eat on it as long as social distancing is obeyed and the weather is permitting. Next up, there's a schedule change at West High School that coincides with the in-person school resumption. Classes are now getting shorter. The school day is getting shorter. Hallelujah. For those on Zoom, this means that school will still start at 8 o'clock as normal, but first period will end at 9.15 instead of 9.25, as it's been for the first two terms of the year. This pattern continues as most classes are generally 10 minutes earlier this term. This means that second period starts at 9.20 and lunch returns to depending on your third period, just like before the entire pandemic. This year, if your third period class physical location is on the third or fourth floors of the main building, you have first lunch goes from 10.50 to 11.20 immediately after second period. This goes whether you are in person or on Zoom. If your third period class is anywhere else, such as the CTC building, seminary, the tech wing, the bottom two floors in the main building, the field house, the sports fields, the driver's ed area, you have second lunch, which means that your third period happens immediately after your second period, 10.50 to 12.20, and your lunch will end at 12.50. Your fourth period class will be just like everyone else. It'll start at 12.50 or 12.55, and will end at 2.15 instead of 2.25. This is perhaps the most significant part of the schedule change, as this means that the school day this term will be the shortest it's been in decades. Remember, no matter which last name you have, the two days in which you're not at West, you will attend Zoom instruction just as you have the entire school year. Wednesdays are also not affected. They will remain asynchronous unless otherwise noted by your teacher. Always remember to talk with your teacher on your Tuesday or Monday classes in order to ensure what assignments there will be available on Canvas. In terms of how in-person education makes you feel, I'd like to extend an offer to send us a voice message about this. Now, I would like to take a minute to explain what a voice message is. The following segment and the instructions contained within are only applicable on the website anchor.fm slash tvwest. On the TV West Saves the World website, there's a little button that looks like a little speech bubble with some lines in it that says voice message. If you click on this, you can utilize your device microphone to record a voice message and send it to us. You can say almost anything. Thank you note, note of congratulations, as long as it's school appropriate. Keep in mind, we reserve the right to put it in our episodes, or not to put it in our episodes, and we don't have to tell you why. We recommend that you include your name in your voice message just so that we can give you credit for it. If you prefer not to be publicized, you can just ask to be identified as anonymous. 
Another option, if you prefer not to speak, is to send us an email to moses.baca at slcschools.org. You can include the content of your voice message, which is just what you want to be said, and a request that you not be identified. That way, one of us in the podcasting team will read out your message, and you won't have to broadcast your voice across the airwaves at all. Why send a voice message, you ask? The answer to this is there doesn't have to be a reason. It's more of an efficient way to send a message of congratulations or a thank you note. Keep in mind, you can only send this from the Anchor website. There's no way to send a voice message from Apple Music or Google Podcasts. It's just not going to happen. I'm sorry. Finally, I do have to say that if you do send in a voice recording, it immediately becomes property of the podcast, so it'll be kind of awkward if you do want it deleted or if you regret doing it. If you don't want it aired, or if you just wanted to send it and you didn't want it to be recorded, you may mention that that in your voice message. We'll make sure that your privacy is preserved. After all, that is one of our first priorities here at TV West Saves the World. Anyway, thanks for listening to me blather on about voice messages. You're obviously not obligated to use them in any way, shape, or form, but I was just thinking that it's kind of a good idea and a very easy way to send a message to us, kind of like a micro-podcast from you to us to tell us how you think we're doing. And in advance, I'd like to thank all of you who send voice messages in for your feedback. The honesty is truly appreciated. Thanks for listening this far into the episode. Next up, we discuss exposure notifications for COVID-19 on iPhones and Android devices, what they are, what they do, how to use them, and the privacy ramifications of using them. If you've even been remotely connected to the internet during the past year, you probably know about the Apple Google API or app programming interface, called Exposure Notifications. This works on both iPhone and Android devices, albeit not in the same way. More on this later. An app programming interface allows app developers, or in this case, local health departments, to take a template for how an app looks and then make minor modifications to it to fit their needs. In this case, you can take the app programming interface and customize it based on where they are. The Utah State Department of Health just released their Android Exposure Notifications app today, February 17th, 2021. On iPhones, you don't need to install this application. More on this later. Keep in mind, for Android devices, you must have a device with Android 6 or later. It's also called Marshmallow. Subsequent versions are called Nougat, which is 7, Oreo, which is 8, Pi, which is 9, 10, which is Q, and 11, which hasn't completely rolled out yet, but is called Android R. If you have any of these devices, these steps will work for you. If you have something older, they won't. What you need to do is go into your device settings. Scroll down to an item called Google. The first item on the list after clicking on this, provided that you're signed into a Google account, COVID-19 exposure notifications, with an icon that looks a little bit like a coronavirus cell next to it. 
it most likely says off unless you've already turned them on. If you click on that, it will bring you into a submenu that says exposure notifications available. You may also get a notification for this which will send you into this menu. I tested this on all of my Android devices, so this seems to have just gone live. On this page, there will be a link to the Google Play Store to install the UT Exposure Notifications app from the Utah Department of Health. This is an officially sanctioned application that can notify you if you've been exposed to COVID-19. Again, more on this later. After following the above steps and installing the application, the setup process is fairly straightforward. You merely have to click through a few dialog boxes about accepting and understanding the point of exposure notifications, which I will get more in depth in the iPhone section of this segment. It will ask you to share extra aggregated data, and I recommend that you turn this on because it will be anonymized, it will not have any personal information, and it makes the Utah Department of Health's job easier. It's also a way to do your very small part to help end this pandemic. It might seem small, it might seem less significant than wearing a mask, it might even seem less significant than social distancing. But the more people use this system, the more effective it becomes in contact tracing, and therefore helping people get medical treatment if they have COVID-19, asymptomatic or not. For iPhones, the process is a little different. Just like on Android, go into your system settings app. It has a gear on it for those of you who don't know. Your Apple ID settings will be at the top of the page with your name and profile picture. Underneath, there's network settings. Underneath that, there's settings with sounds, screen time, keep going. In the section that has general, control center, display, and brightness, stop. If you scroll down just a little bit further, you'll see a very similar looking icon to the Android one, just like a coronavirus cell. It also says exposure notifications. If you click on this, this will open a new page that says turn on exposure notifications. Exposure notifications are off. If you turn them on, your public health authority can notify you if you have possible exposure to COVID-19. It also gives you an option to view how they work, which I will explain after I explain how to turn them on. And then there's an option to enable or disable availability alerts, which is a way to receive a notification if exposure notifications are available in your current region. Assumably, this is off for you. If you turn this on, then you'll either get a notification immediately or a few days later that says exposure logging with the same coronavirus icon. It will then say exposure notifications available, just like Android, and says get notified of possible exposure to COVID-19 by the Utah Department of Health. If you click on this, it will bring you to another page with an overlay that says COVID-19 exposure notifications are available. Your iPhone can tell you if you may have been exposed to COVID-19, then it gives you another option to continue. It also tells you if you want to learn how exposure notifications work and to learn about how your privacy is protected. Again, I'm going to discuss all of this later. If you choose continue, you have to read the terms and conditions, which is not the usual legal gobbledygook. It's very simple, and it just says that exposure notifications are the official Utah State COVID-19 exposure notification system. By enabling this service, you can be quickly notified if you've likely been exposed to the virus, allowing you to reduce the risk for your loved ones, seek medical attention, and slow the spread in your community. Using this service is completely voluntary. You may opt out at any time. No GPS location, information, 
or personal identifiers will ever be collected or stored by the Utah Department of Health or by Apple. This works for Android devices too, except Apple wouldn't go anywhere near your data, it would be Google. But Google By opting in, your device will share anonymous tokens with other Utah Exposure Notifications users using your phone's Bluetooth signal. If another user you've been near tests positive for COVID-19 within two weeks of passing near them, your phone will notify you. If you test positive, you can easily and anonymously notify others to help stop the spread of COVID-19 by reporting your diagnosis in the application. That's it for this pseudo-privacy policy. There's also a link to a more full legalese version of it at coronavirus.utah.gov website. There's also an option to go back, cancel, agree, or don't agree. If you click agree, you'll be greeted with a third page that says, Turn on Exposure Notifications. Underneath, it provides a description. Your iPhone will begin using Bluetooth to log possible exposures. You may be notified of any ex significant COVID-19 exposure based on Utah Department of Health guidelines. If you select Turn On, you're sent to a fourth page that says Exposure Notifications are enabled. Your iPhone can now notify you of exposure based on guidelines set by your public health authority. If you receive a positive COVID-19 diagnosis, you'll have the option of sharing your diagnosis. This helps health authorities slow the spread by notifying others of exposure. If you hit done, you'll now be brought back to the earlier page where you had the option to turn it on. Now it's changed. It'll say exposure logging status. It should have a check mark that says active and it explains the random ID system, which I will go through in a few minutes. Then it says Active Region, which is obviously the Utah Department of Health, United States, Utah, and then Share a COVID-19 Diagnosis. Underneath it, availability alerts have been turned off because you've already activated exposure notifications, so if it told you they were available, there would be no point in knowing. Below that is the red option to turn off exposure notifications, after which it's one more tap and it's gone. Everything is deleted. Okay, now that we've discussed how to turn them on for iPhone and Android devices, let's learn how they work and what they do. Some of you that are more tech savvy may already know some of this information. And this should only take about five minutes, so you can go ahead and skip now. If you click on how the How Ex Exposure Notifications Work dialog option in between Diagnosis and Active Region on iPhone, it will bring up a little dialog. I'll just read it for you now so you don't have to do it. How Exposure Notifications Work 1. Your iPhone uses Bluetooth to keep a log throughout the day. Your iPhone looks for iOS and Android devices that have exposure notifications turned on and keeps a rolling 14-day log of their identifiers. 2. People can report that they have COVID-19 if someone gets a positive diagnosis. They can report it and anonymously notify those who have been near them. 3. If you've been exposed, the Utah Department of Health can notify you. 4. Your iPhone will check your log for exposure to anyone who has reported a positive COVID-19 diagnosis. If an exposure exceeds your public health authority's guidelines, your iPhone will notify you. Now that we know how they work and what they do, let's learn about the privacy. Keep in mind, from this point onwards, these apply no matter which device you're using, just replace iPhone with Android device and Apple with Google. 
This gets a bit wordy, but we'll work through it. I'll try to translate it from legalese into normal speak. Exposure notifications and privacy. Exposure notifications help protect your privacy by using random, rotating Bluetooth identifiers to determine if you may have been exposed to someone who has indicated that they may have COVID-19. To break this down, this just means that your phone generates a random number that changes quite often that other phones can recognize. This number can be sent between devices quickly, the file size of a plain text number is not very large, and will not take up any noticeable amount of data on your Wi-Fi or data plan that you would even notice. Let's move on to the next section. This is where the real legalese begins, so I'll just start paraphrasing to make this understand. Make this easier to understand. Okay, the next section begins with your consent Exposure notifications can be used by the Utah State Department of Health to notify you if you've been exposed to COVID-19. The privacy policy for this actually explains that there's an option to install an application, but since the Department of Health decided to have it be built in by following the steps that I gave earlier, you don't have to follow these instructions. You don't have to install it separately. You can just activate them through your settings. So let's move on. The document goes on to say that you may choose to enable exposure notifications, and it is not on by default. Again, I've already explained this earlier. Finally, it says you do not need to have location services enabled to use exposure notifications. This is good. It essentially means that you don't have to have your location on your device enabled for it to be able to communicate with other devices using the exposure notification system. This can be helpful because location services can drain your battery, and I have plenty of experience with that. The document goes on to say that your device will broadcast a random identifier, which it says is a string of random numbers that changes every 10 to 20 minutes via Bluetooth. These identifiers are generated on your device using a cryptographic routine, which just means that it's encrypted randomly and doesn't trace back to you. There's also a randomly generated master key that sets out the basic rules for this identifier and what it looks like that changes once every day. It's an extra layer of protection for this number. You can really tell that Apple and Google put a lot of thought into making sure people felt safe about using this. And just a quick side note, I hope all of you listening right now feel safe about using exposure notifications because it will help us all bring a swifter end to this pandemic. The Bluetooth identifiers and these random device keys do not include your location, cannot be read by Apple or Google, and do not have any personally identifying information in them. Again, these are just numbers. The only thing that these devices are communicating is these numbers, and then later on, whether or not these numbers are associated with a positive test result. And if they are, your device will warn you. Other devices that have exposure notifications set up will be listening for these identifiers and broadcasting there simultaneously. Your device will record and store these identifiers of these other devices that are within Bluetooth range. And, again, another side note. For those of you who don't know, that's about, um, less than 30 feet. Along with associated data such as the date of exposure, estimated duration of exposure, and information about the Bluetooth signal strength which can help you understand how close you actually were to that person, or at least to their phone. Generally, the closer the devices are, the higher the signal strength is recorded and the higher the risk of transmitting COVID-19 is. Other devices that receive your Bluetooth identifiers 
device keys, and data are deleted from your device within a 14-day window of the exposure. It's also deleted from their devices within 14 days of the exposure. Which makes sense, and it's also privacy-preserving, since all the data that we do have about COVID-19 seems to signal that 14 days is the window of danger of transmission and sickness. It also says you have a way to delete this yourself by following the instructions further on. I'll talk about this. Device keys from individuals that have submitted a positive COVID-19 diagnosis and have chosen to share their keys with the Utah Department of Health can be downloaded to your device. As I said earlier, these file sizes are very small. You won't notice them on your data plan, so don't worry about them. After the download, these keys will be checked against the identifiers your device has collected and stored from other devices. If there are any matches to positive test results, you'll be notified if you are at risk of exposure. These are based on parameters set by the Department of Health, and I don't know what those are. It doesn't tell us in this document, so you'll probably find out if you get notified. It will also provide you with guidance, such as recommending that you get tested or that you quarantine. And now, I'd like to have another sidebar. Please. All of you that are listening, keep in mind, these exposure notifications require such specific circumstances to send you a positive warning that you've been exposed because of how your device has to be set up, their device has to be set up, they had to get tested, they had to have a positive test result, they had to put it into the app, then they put it into the app, and then your device warns you, you should take that seriously. And it's true that Bluetooth range is not very accurate, as 6 feet is very close, while 30 feet is very far away. But since you don't exactly know where that encounter happened, it is safest to get tested. Keep in mind, you might have just been close to their phone, not even to their person, but it is still a very good idea. Especially, Testing is very easy now. Vaccination, not so much, but testing is very easy to get. It's free, it's easy, and none of this information, again, is shared with Apple or Google. Now, if you need to share a diagnosis, which will happen if you get a positive test result, you will receive a code along with your test result, and I believe this is the same for the test to start program um, returning to school, although you can correct me wrong in the voice messages or in the comments if you want to. And you'll input this under the report a COVID-19 diagnosis option, which is right in the middle of your options on iPhone, and it's also an option in the Android app. This will start the process that we just talked about, which is that it will send information to other devices that you've been in contact with in the past 14 days that your random identifier is associated with a positive test result, and those devices will notify their users that they've been exposed to COVID-19 and will advise them of the next steps to take. For us, since iPhone exposure notifications don't require an application to download, if you choose to share your diagnosis, it will ask you if you've traveled over the past two weeks. For Android devices, it will do the same thing, but may require more specific information since it's not a system level system, it's an application. 
So this will inform the Department of Health that you have traveled. It will not tell them where you've traveled or send them your exact location. In addition, for iPhones, if you had location services on your device, or on Android if you had location at all turned on, set to high accuracy, and make sure that you allow permission for the device to use your location on Android and Apple. Your device can download keys from other regions that you've been to over the past two weeks from devices that also have enabled exposure notifications. Again, location information is processed on your device, and it does not send your device location to the Utah Department of Health, to Apple, or to Google. I know it's been a while in this document, but we've finally made it to the final section. You have choice and control. I'm just going to read this as it's written. Here we go. You can disable exposure notifications by going to Settings, Exposure Notifications, and tapping Turn Off Exposure Notifications. Sorry, I have to do a sidebar. For Android devices, all you have to do is uninstall the Utah Exposure Notifications app, and it'll be gone. It'll turn it off for you, the logging will stop, everything's deleted as soon as you uninstall that application. So, in, in, in many ways, it's actually easier to delete it on Android. This will also delete the Bluetooth identifiers recorded from other devices, the data associated with them, your device keys, and your notification region. You can also delete the identifiers, data, and keys without turning off the notifications by going to Settings, Exposure Notifications, Exposure Logging, and deleting the Exposure Log separately. Also, if you turn off Bluetooth on your device by going to Settings or Control Panel and turning off Bluetooth, that will disable the sharing collection of random Bluetooth identifiers both the sharing and the collection, as long as Bluetooth is turned off. This means that the Department of Health will not be able to notify you about exposures while it's turned off, but the remaining features will continue to operate when you have Bluetooth turned off. Turning it back on will turn it will turn sharing and collection of random Bluetooth identifiers back on. And at the very, very bottom, the very final section, the last sentence, you've made it. Apple and Google will dis sorry, exposure notification system on a regional basis when it's no longer needed. End quote. Sorry, I know that was a very long document. It was probably annoying to hear, but it was interesting to hear that last sentence when it's no longer needed. Let us all hope that day when we won't need exposure notifications anymore will come very soon. I can only speak for myself, but I hope I can speak for you when I say that that day cannot come soon enough. Now that that nightmare of an excuse for a legal document and that whole massive 20-minute segment is over with, let's talk about Term 3 and what it means for our sister show on YouTube, TV West. As some of you may have noticed, as we enter Term 3, TV West has returned to a normal weekly broadcast schedule instead of four separate 
daily shows, and I think for a while there we were doing five. This is due in part to the fact that we were doing daily announcements in lieu of student government doing it, and then eventually they started doing it and sending their videos to us, and then we would add a cool title card, some cool background graphics, and some music, and we would put them up five times a week. And I assume, based on what I've heard from other students, that it wasn't very interesting. Most teachers didn't even play them. But finally, student government, who has done the morning announcements for years on end, finally got their old job standing in the PA and the main office back, giving us information about a lot of things around West that most of us probably only care about one or two things about. However, at least now, the joke of the day is unavoidable for those of you in in-person schooling. As for the podcast... Well, you may notice that we've also returned to a more regular broadcasting schedule. The February 2021 Listener Newsletter went out last week, along with Season 2 Episode 5. If you haven't listened to that episode or the Listener Newsletter, they're both very short. I sincerely recommend you give them a listen. It won't take very much time. I think you'll enjoy them. I hope it makes your day, because I know that serendipity is a pretty cool word. Check it out. Anchor.fm slash TVWest. It's right there. Pretty easy. Hey, thanks for listening to TV West Saves the World, Season 2, Episode 6. I know, I say this every single time, but your listenership is truly appreciated. If we weren't social distancing, if we weren't on two different sides of a screen, or headphone drivers... I would reach out and give every single one of you hugs, as long as that was appropriate and you consented to it. I can't tell you how gratifying it is that people are actually listening to all the work that we put into this podcast. It's very, very appreciated, sincerely. I mean, it's awesome. Thank you so much. Secondly, I recommend that you go back and listen to the steps for how to turn on exposure notifications. I know it was a very, very long segment, but if you go back and listen to the steps, I try to make it as detailed as possible for both iPhone and Android users. I hope that this podcast episode will help you feel better. I hope it'll help you assuage your fears about using exposure notifications, because the privacy issue is not very big. It's very safe. I mean, they said it half a dozen times in the privacy policy and in the subsequent legalese document about how they work and how your privacy is protected that we read through. It took 20 minutes. The more people use them, the more effective it becomes as a contact tracing method. Think about it. If everyone in the world had it set up properly, and if everyone in the world submitted their positive diagnosis, and if everyone in the world was told about their exposure, and if everyone in the world followed the instructions given after that notification, then we would have a lot less exposure, especially from asymptomatic people, because if someone symptomatic gets tested, and then everyone around them, and everyone that was around them for the past two weeks gets told that they are positive, and all of them quarantine, they'll be able to get through their virus, even if they don't even notice that they're sick, without getting anyone else infected. You can see how, if everyone was using it, it'd be very effective. Anyway, whether or not you use it, 
I appreciate you listening to it. It was very long. <laughs> Writing the script was arduous and twisty-turny with a lot of turns and shoots and ladders and stuff. But thanks for listening. From all of us here at TV West and TV West Saves the World, we wish you a happy February, a happy March, even though hopefully we'll talk to you before then. A happy 2021, and hopefully a happy end to this pandemic very, very soon. As I said earlier, it cannot come soon enough. And I certainly hope most of you share that sentiment. I don't know how much longer we're going to last as a society without breaking down. At least the internet's keeping us together. After all, that's how this podcast is reaching your ears, combined with a lot of other electronic magician work. I'm Brogan Nilsson. For TV West and TV West Saves the World, hear you later. <laughs>